RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. Hello, welcome to Season 2 of the RMA Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan. We are excited to share inspiring stories of amazing everyday women who are using running as a vehicle to connection and change in their lives. We want to share the impact of these powerful stories with you, how running can free you, challenge you, help you believe in yourself and lead you to places you never thought possible. Thank you for listening to these powerful stories. We're excited to have you on the journey with us one step at a time. Hello RMA, welcome back to the RMA podcast 2022 edition. I am so thrilled to be back on the air with you. I hope everybody has had a lovely Christmas and New Year break. I know that I had such a great break over the holiday period, um, notwithstanding having to isolate with a son with COVID and missing half our holiday. But nevertheless, we still had such a wonderful time as a family and being able to relax and rejuvenate after what had been a crazy two years, basically, without a break. So I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has kept listening to the podcast over the break. I've really uh, enjoyed having the downtime that I so desperately needed. I'm looking forward to bringing some great episodes to you in 2022, starting off with today's episode with an amazing RMA, Janelle De Silva. I wanted to start the podcast episode this year on a real bang, and I think I chose the perfect guest for that. Janelle is an RMA who hails from Melbourne in Victoria. She actually lives on the Surf Coast, which is an incredible location to live. She's an artist, she's a TED speaker, she's an art therapist, a doula, an ultra marathon runner, and a philanthropist. Her work is featured on major international and national television networks, stages, festivals, radio stations, and podcasts. Most importantly, I wanted her on the podcast to talk about her journey with running and her campaign that she started back in 2015 called Run Bitch Run. Yes, you just heard me swear on the podcast, but for good reason. And you'll hear more about her story and why that campaign was called that in this episode. Run Bitch Run supports fundraising for the Kathy Freeman Foundation, which supports educational opportunities for Indigenous children living in remote communities. And through her own story growing up, having racism form part of her daily life as a woman of color herself, uh, she has now gone on to share her views on this and change this perspective that we should have living in this land we call Australia, especially in light of what our first people have had to endure. I really love this episode because it really enlightened me and actually educated me on a few things. And I know that we can be so much more welcoming and I know that we can change things in our country when we're all on the same page of when it comes down to our history and also how we can be more inclusive of the diversity that's around us. During this podcast episode, we'll be listening to one of Janelle's poems that she wrote and performed over on YouTube, which was the preface of her campaign. And it's the most powerful piece I've ever listened to. 
So a lot of what we will talk about in this podcast is around what happened during those moments and how that shaped the way that Janelle views running today and what she uses the vehicle of running for. I'd love to introduce you right now to Janelle De Silva. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. I am super, super excited to have you, Janelle. I'm really honoured to have you on the podcast, so welcome. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks, RMA, for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. This is the new season of the podcast, so 2022, and I wanted to start this season off with a bang. And I think I chose the perfect guest (laughs) to start off with um, because, you know, I've been doing the podcast now, I think, 18 months or so. Um, And when I started the podcast, the whole reason for it was that I wanted to tell the stories of the women in RMA. And I wanted to tell, um, you know, their story and how running and more importantly, how running has, I guess, found them or taught them things has changed their world and how they've impacted their world through that vehicle. And so I came across your story in RMA. I don't know how I... I must have heard it before, but I don't know how I just only recently heard how powerful your story was. And I thought you would be the most perfect guest to kick off 2022. So I'm honored to have you. And I think that people will resonate with your story because there is such diversity in RMA. And that is what I want to bring across today. The diversity that we have in our network of women. So thank you for coming. But let's just start back at the beginning. Like, tell the listeners where you are from, and you know how. What was your upbringing like? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, firstly, I'd like to say I'm living on unceded Wadawurrung country, and uh, so I'm down on the surf coast in Torquay. Yep. Living in an absolute pristine, beautiful part of the world. Yeah. Um, and I was born on Bunurong country. So I was actually born in Frankston and I was raised down in Franger. And, um, and I haven't, you know, I just gravitated around the bay most of my life. Yeah. Uh, gone from East Coast to West Coast in Victoria. But, um, yeah, so I, I was raised during the 80s. Yeah. And uh, 80s, 90s in, in Franger. And so um, I identify as a multi generational mixed race woman of colour, uh, not Indigenous. Yeah. So I'm not Indigenous to this country, but I actually have, well, I used to think it was four, but I did a DNA test not long ago and 16 countries came up. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and there's kind of six main countries. So I'm very, uh, I definitely am multi-generational mixed race. So, um, and I have brown skin. So I didn't know I did until I went to school in Frankston. And, um, and then that kind of started to shape my experience of being a kid. Um, and, and then also being a teenager, you know, those years are clunky anyway, but being a teenager in the nineties was um, pretty tricky mm. around those those times yeah so um 
especially in the 80s and 90s, I would imagine. Well, I was around then too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my, I'm, that's, I'm happy to sort of claim my age because um, I've actually always thought I'll get better with age. I never really, um, I don't know, I, I never bought into that thing about holding on to my youth. Um, and maybe it's because I'm blessed with genetic, like really good genetics. And You look um, amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. But there's also been life choices, you know, to... Yeah. And, you know, uh, which, you know, is part of the reason why I'm here because I ran my first marathon at 38 years old yeah. as a mother of five. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome to sort of reflect on how things have shaped me to be here now and the way in which I experience the world because when I was a kid, um, you know, when you're, when you're in the... When you're in the soup, you don't know you're in the soup. So it's mm. um, it's only with the beauty of hindsight that I've been able to draw strength from my experiences as a kid. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't understand what I, well, of course, there was no term like intersectionality. I didn't understand what it meant to have all these different identities that are intersecting mm. um, and that provide a whole different experience of the world even though there is an an idea of a mainstream experience that we're all supposed to be having mm. so um yeah i mean without sort of going too deep too soon it was just you know i just thought i was just a normal kid until i went to school and then was sort of told otherwise and then that shaped my experience of um mm. what running meant to me did they, did kids like, so hang on, let's backtrack a little bit. So your parents, like what um, nationality would, were they? Oh, right. So, okay. So my parents are, um, they immigrated here about yeah. 70, 60 years ago, 50 something years yeah, ago. Well, yeah, uh, a while ago. <laughs> uh, and um, they, my mom is Chinese and yeah. she's born in Pakistan. My dad is half Portuguese, Indian, born in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's lots of European in that Portuguese as well. Yes, yes. Uh, so they both uh, weren't from the countries they were born in. Yeah. Uh, and then they came here, yeah, in 68. So okay. Yep. Okay. I'm first generation Australian. Yep. And my kids, yeah, are mixed race as well. So they've got a, they've got a white Anglo-Saxon dad. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and and so they and they've all come out looking different, you know. One yeah. looks one looks Indian, one just like nondescript. It's just yeah. <laughs> I just find it fascinating because, I mean, I, I think too, and I mean, you can answer this for me, but you know, you you said that when you were a kid, you just thought you were like just like everyone else. You were just a kid, right? You didn't really know till someone pointed it out to you that you were different, right? Yeah. And obviously, there were, people treated you differently or whatever as a kid, and growing up and I feel like it's only as we get older we kind of look back at experiences we've had throughout life and think wow like I actually really want to identify with who I am with a little bit of my heritage like I know my my own story like it's still not even proven but we only found out um when my grandmother passed away that um there was this big family secret that somehow my grandfather's side 
had there was an Aboriginal um, like heritage there. Like mm. so, we are actually from an Aboriginal heritage line, and we never ever knew because mm. it was back in. I don't even know the time of, you know, the stolen children and all of that sort of stuff. So people just kept things quiet. We mm. never, never knew. So there is no documentation. There is no anything for us to even find out. But we are so, all of us, all our family really want to know because we want to identify with our heritage. I find it as we get older, like maybe those things become a little bit more important to us than when we were kids. I've got goosebumps hearing you say that, Nick, because... It's like claiming identity and culture is so much more than pigmentation. Yeah. You know, culture is a way of experiencing life and to reclaim your roots, particularly when they're family secrets or when they've been like intergenerational trauma is a lived experience. It's not Mm. something that is in the past or that our grandparents experienced. It's something that we're born with. Yeah. I've been able to understand that for my own lived experience, but also working with other people through the arts and and, um, I also work in the therapeutic arts. It's just amazing. And and also in running, I just, I mean, I would say my strongest practice, my strongest decolonial practice, which is about me coming back into myself is through running. Mm. And, um, and it's, and it's a way in which it's for me. It's meditative. It's healing. Um, it's a way in which I can actually find that place between uh, who I am, who I know, uh, the lineage that I can feel. I might not understand or know or can name, but I can feel it. Yeah. And to actually consciously consider the fact that I am running on country, like I am running on land that is over, you know, 60, 80,000 years old mm. and that there's literal song lines underneath me and that holds an energy, that holds a power and that that can inform the way in which we move. Um, and that deep connection to land I think is, is everybody's birthright but um, but when there is literal history on country where we're in a colonial country, so... Yeah, like you say, there's, um, you know, stolen gen. I mean, that happened for, for for over, I mean, it's still sort of happening now. So it started, though, um, you know, as soon as our, um, our First Nations people were starting to be, well, there was genocide and then, yeah. there, and then there was the missions and that mm. over 150 years of legalised, uh genocide uh, it 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 i would say a lot of white passing australians would have a lot of aboriginal culture in their, mm. their families because um indentured slavery was real you know the laws of like i i so i'm a student as well of, of aboriginal studies and as a result of the things i've learned through running yeah um and it's helped inform me to be a better Australian, a better non-Indigenous Australian yeah. and understand what allyship is, what, what does it mean for me to be proud to be uh, an Australian person mm. and how can I claim my right to be here and call this home mm. um, when we have such a, um, a an untold past. Yeah. It's still yeah. incredibly present as much as we might not 
realize it. it it's actually deeply embedded in our mainstream culture and so yeah I, I mean thank you for sharing that i think that is that is powerful and, and it can support and help everyone to possibly inquire into our family history and see how that informs who we are as um, as people but but also as australians and and yeah. obviously runners um, yeah. I mean, it's all—it's always frustrating because we don't know how we can even find out. Like, it's kind of like it was so—it was so hidden, and it's like, well, there's no one alive anymore. Like, who you even like? It's, it's frustrating because we—it'd be great to really know the answer. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, but um, not alone. Regardless, I feel like some of my family have gone well you know what we believe it was truth and we're going to run with that and that's that's our lineage and then some of them are like oh i'm not really sure so i'm not going to claim that's my lineage because i don't know um but i think you know regardless i think we should be um like you said like you know this is this is this was aboriginal land and and we need to live like it was so i think we need to protect it and look after it and be thankful and humble enough to walk upon it. I mean, I feel so lucky when I run and I mean, I've changed from a, a, a road runner in the beginning to a trail runner. Mm. And I feel so drawn to the earth, like in that space to run. And I, I remember when I went last year, I was so lucky to get a trip to go to Lara Pinta to help Michelle um, do her trek across the land there. And um, my goodness, it just was the most incredible experience to be so close to culture there. Like I just felt this deep connection and it was so spiritual when I was um, one night driving by myself in the vehicle to the next checkpoint, it was pitch black. And I remember seeing this huge bright light on the horizon. I had no idea. I was so sleep deprived. I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is that? I'm trying to like get my eyes to focus. And then I realized it was the moon. It was the arc of the moon. I've never seen a moon so bright in all of my life and so large. I just was blown away. And, I mean, I don't feel – I was lucky that I was in the moment on country out there that gave me that incredible experience. Like you kind of don't – I guess you take for granted each day where we tread and where we run and where we walk. You don't actually feel as connected like that. But it was an incredible experience. I just felt so thankful to be able to – I guess, yeah, be in such a place where culture is so rich out there, you know. Um, yeah. This is what I find is interesting about our, I mean, I mean, I could go deep with you, uh, like, but our find our colonial culture really disassociates us from um, being a part of our environment. The mm. fact that, I mean, the truth is, is that we are a part of this whole you know ecosystem that we call the earth yeah. and we are affected and we affect it and and it is really simple stuff you know being barefoot on the ground or yeah or trail running mm. you're in constant communication with the earth whether you know it or not and i find that it's so humbling like yeah it, it, there's nothing more humbling than to just get out into nature wherever it is even if it's just your backyard but to literally just sit or to be still or find um even when i'm moving I've, i guess i find stillness in moving yeah um 
eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's you know, like a I, peaceful, it's like a meditation almost. It's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, but, but find that place where you can actually be present. Mm. Um, yeah, I just feel like there isn't a separation between myself and what's around me. And I feel like that is incredibly humbling to know that I belong, mm. um, to yeah. know that, that, that I don't have, yeah, that idea that I'm supposed to be in control or that I should know or um, or anything got to do with societal pressures and expectations. Mm. I just think immersing yourself in any type of nature, connecting, grounding down, back down into um, what it is to be embodied in that moment is, I suppose, the only way I really experience liberation um, and freedom uh, and it's and it's a moment to moment thing, and I guess that's why I, you know, will always be a runner in whatever capacity that might be. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you were young, um, and you, you know, you said you realised you maybe maybe I'm a bit different. Why are people sort of treating me differently? Like, how did they treat you? Well, yeah, I mean, it, well, essentially it was quite crude. You know, kids are, kids are pretty mean when they want to be. Yeah. So just telling me that my skin tone was different and then associating that with negative things was, like, weird. I was like, because only before that I'd only, uh, my, my family, uh, when they all immigrated, were a bunch of, like, 50-plus oh, sort of Indo-Chinese people that, you know, everybody was from somewhere and I guess everyone sort of looked like me or there just wasn't, there was race was not a thing. So yeah. going to, getting to school and being told that being brown or, you know, being called slurs that are even, um, you know, being given to um, black people. So like African-American people or our indigenous people, B-L-A-K people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that, I guess I then started to go, oh, well, that must be my group of people. Um, I must be black. I'm, yeah, black culture must be my culture because that's mm. what I'm being told I am. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess that was my first understanding that regardless of whether I was a good runner or a good student or a good friend, I was always going to be different. Mm nothing I could do to change that and that was really weird like that was kind of confusing and confronting and I guess that the you know that just popped me in a position of um of feeling disempowered mm. by my appearance you know yeah. so um and as I have learned through my Aboriginal studies course and through decolonizing doing my own work and, and now I work as a racial literacy educator um, I now understand, you know, there's literal laws of assimilation. So, you know, even our First Nations people were indoctrinated by our law to have to assimilate into white culture. They had to be part of colonial culture in order to be seen as citizens or not even treated as citizens until the, the 70s. But anyway, mm. it, it's, assimilation is a very... Um, uh, it's a very deeply socialized condition that we place upon each other without actually saying it or we overtly say it. And that's generally what we think racism is. But 
this idea that we should all identify with white colonial culture as being Australian is very confronting mm. if you don't fit into that or if you don't pass as white. Mm. Um, and that was my first experience was that you don't pass, so you're never going to belong. Mm. Um, yeah, so I became a real bogan. Like I became as bogan as I could be so, <laughs> so that I could um, assimilate and it, you know, I, in Frankston. <laughs> my first job on telly was in uh, in '91, and I was on the ABC. And I literally uh, got the job. My producers told me that you got the job because you look exotic, but you talk like a bogan. And <laughs> I was I was too young to realize that that was actually a backhanded insult. Uh, you know, that, was, yeah. <laughs> that was actually racist, you know. But I didn't yeah. on that thing. Um, I thought it was a compliment. Uh, <laughs> but to me, I was like, yes, I've mastered the art of how to fit in. Mm. Um, Which is sad, don't you think, that you had to do that? Like, I just think that's just so sad that you had to master the art to fit in. That you couldn't well, just be yourself. You couldn't just be who you are. And that's, that's the sad thing about all of this is that people can't, can't just be who they are. It means such a different thing, Nick, in the past 20 years. Like our, our, this generation of kids coming up, they've got such a different way of defining who they are. Mm. Whereas when we came up, you know, things were pretty intense in terms of, you know, it was quite segregated and, and yep. you know, racism, sexism, misogyny, yeah. pedophilia, all of that was part of mainstream culture. Like yeah. yep. it was homophobia. It was so intense. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I remember sort of, you know, when I think back now, you know, Boy George and Prince and um, Annie Lennox and, like, really androgynous Grace Jones, obviously MJ, um, you know, just all the pop artists were my favourite people and they were just so androgynous and, and they didn't, um, you know, I guess they they claimed... I suppose they used art and music as a vehicle and pop culture, you know, we're still so young. Yeah. Um, it's interesting now how I've got like a group. There's, there, I literally I have a group of artists that I'm working with at the moment. We're, we're creating work around what it is to be runners of colour. Yeah, wow. How, um, how culture has informed us whether it's mainstream or through our own um, intersectional identities. Um, yeah, with a black and black woman, so a, a First Nations woman and an African-American identifying woman. So we're creating work at the moment about um, what it is how, uh, to be a runner of colour um, on yeah. country. Yeah. Um, oh, I look forward to seeing that. I'll tell you about it. Yeah, it, it's going to be exciting. It'll be, it'll be coming out in a few different ways. But... Um, but yeah, it, it, it's hindsight is a beautiful thing mm. and, um, it's only been through looking at myself and wondering about how, you know, what is privilege, what is, um, what is intersectionality, how does racism inform me and, and how can I be proud to call myself Australian? And how can I be a good mum even? How can I raise kids that are proud of who they are but also understand the history of 
of this country and 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 of what informs mm. uh, you know their pride in in our country so all these things i guess has has directed me to get educated in a really higgledy-piggledy way like there's no one book you know i've had to google and spend a lot of years unpacking yeah and yeah it's hard when family you know i come from a lineage with where my family have had to assimilate into the cultures mm. um, that of the countries that they've either escaped into mm. um, or migrated into for survival so um erasure is a deep and internalized racism is a deep part of my intergenerational trauma mm. so i've had to sort of unpack well what does it mean for me to um look at how i've erased my own connection to my cultures and mm. and even having pigmented skin identifying as a woman of color what does that mean mm. um mm. because we're still we're still very young country in learning how to have robust conversations about um whiteness as a culture like whiteness as a colonial culture not pigment yep. uh, and what does it mean to assimilate into a colonial culture being the only country colonial country in the world that just still doesn't recognize our first nations people in our constitution mm. there's a lot to learn when you when you kind of start to step back and look at i guess for me because all of my lineages scatter right across the globe yeah yet i still am a beneficiary of colonial law i i am benefited as an australian as being born an australian i benefit from colonial culture and that is deeply there's so much guilt and shame in that um i've had to sort of unpack what my privilege is even though i experience racism mm. on a daily basis i still have a lot of privilege i still have colonial privilege and and the fact that that positions me in a in a place where i have more access to power and visibility um then it does my first nations brothers and sisters like that breaks my heart yeah. the fact that my children have more access to privilege than indigenous kids that that is in fundamentally wrong for me and i guess that's what drives me at, with my philanthropic philanthropic project yeah running um because i know it is you know the the reason why my family were able to put me in a better position than them as immigrants is because we have benefited from colonial culture and that is of the blood and the the the, the pain and the genocide of our first nations people and that is real so um that is something that is that that informs me on a day-to-day -day basis and that's taken work for me to um rewire my colonial socialization um mm. my socialization into whiteness so even though you know in my ted talk oh, i talk about how you know it took me like a good 35 years or so to realize i wasn't white mm. um because i could pass in white spaces because i knew how to act i knew how to talk and i knew how to behave in yeah. ways that didn't upset the apple cart and what that means is that i had to deeply erase my identity and i had to ignore the fact that first nations people are suffering on a day-to-day -day basis and then and, and intergenerational trauma is real it's it's a lived experience mm. um so 
and and even you know i'm just looking at my 15 year old at the moment and his bestie is um a white passing aboriginal kid and he he's reclaiming his culture his parents are not ready to yet but he's reclaiming his culture and i'm so proud of him you know it's really beautiful to share a home where kids are coming in and you know we can have chats about questioning sexuality all the things that we couldn't do when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s you know yeah. um changing your gender you know going well actually i'm i identify as gender fluid or you know all of these things that didn't exist for us mm. um and and i think that our generation is a little bit um did a remove because we didn't we didn't have the internet we didn't have this ability to access all this information yeah and we have to be current with what the times are now and these these generations that are up and coming since the 2000s um are living in a whole different world and i'm sure there's heaps of mums out there that are like when it comes to parenting millennials we kind of throw our hands up because yeah you know absolutely. we're like we don't know what to do it's like that it's true you can't hit them anymore <laughs> it's so hard but oh, i get it i get it totally it's so yeah, and you're right it was it's yeah if ever did anything wrong, I just copped a slap, and it was like, all oh, that kids don't, you know, you spoke, you speak when you're spoken to, or you're yeah. you're heard and not seen. Uh, you're not, yeah, you're yeah, yeah, not. absolutely. Gosh, they're teachers, aren't they? They're like, you know, it's not necessarily easy or fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. I'm telling you, it's tough. And single parenting. Oh my lord! Like, hats off to all the single mums out there. Yeah. Um, that could be listening right now. I, my full respect and my full love um, and my full acknowledgement of everything that you do in every moment, always, all the time, 24-7 for your children. Or, yeah. Because there is nothing like being a single parent um, in this culture, in like as a Western woman, mm. this idea of what... Of, single mum is supposed to get done is not real. No. I don't not know how, yeah. They get through each day. <laughs> and I've got a few single parent friends and I just yeah, hats off to them, I swear. They're amazing. Yeah. So what yeah. do your kids think of your running? I honestly don't think they think much of it. They <laughs> 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 know that I'm better when I come back. Um, yeah, better parent when you come back. <laughs> Mum's happier now. She's gone for her run. <laughs> run, Mum. I love it. And it's beautiful. A couple of them go running with me sometimes. Um, that's always special. Yeah. I get my 18-year-old to pace me when he, on those off chances that he does want to run with me and I want to break my, you know, park run PB or something, yeah. I'll, I'll get him to pace me. But like I found running really hard as a single mum, like choosing, like running with prams. Mm. I had a really crappy first marriage. Um, my ex-husband isn't crappy, but it was a crappy mm. experience and his behaviour was crappy. So, um, and that's that's making light of it. So, you know, I needed exercise mm. for my mental health. Yep. When I was a mum of small kids, I need, you know, that. So I ran with them in prams. I would run, walk, even when I felt my body, when I was carrying so much baby weight, um, mm. you know, at the time we lived on a little bit of land. So 
I would just, I didn't even have the confidence to run outside. I ran around the property and just did laps upon laps upon laps. You know, running for me has been a lifeline. It's probably been the most fiercest act of self-love because I wouldn't say I really, you know, I kind of know it really well now. I've got a really deep relationship with running, but it's always been a bit of a love-hate relationship and it's always been about teaching myself self-love. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, you know, meeting those demons that, that say all those things when you're running, you know, like, you know, stop or don't, or, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that or you're not, all that stuff. And then, then, then just those little wins, you know, let's just make it to that tree or let's just, you know, um, going from, yeah, trying to make it through a couple of minutes to, you know, your first 5K, my first 10K, my first half marathon, my first marathon and mm. and even the ultras and the trails, like that has been huge personal achievements even though, again, I have to just put it out there, I come from a decolonial perspective when it comes to running. So I really look to those runners and I look to moving sport away from time you know, being a time-based thing, a speed-based thing, a, even a fitness-based thing. Like there's this idea that you've got to be fit and skinny to run around. I think that's the biggest load of crap ever. I agree. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody, if you can move, you know, like there's nothing, as you would know, like when you're running particularly yeah. races and you've got people with no arms or no legs or people yeah. with any sight or people who are like, 50 years my senior running and I'm just like oh my god (laughs) it doesn't matter I mean that's why I did that single that year it said everybody run and it had body everybody highlighted like in the silver I think it was because it's everyone it doesn't matter what you look like where you're from how big you are how small you are what your disability is if you've got one if you haven't if you're this if you're that you can have a go like you know who cares about how fast or slow or how far or what pace you run or where you run or it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to like just give props to my, my dear friend and co-producer um, who, who's a black woman from America and she um, has type one diabetes and she uh, is a marathon runner. And she, like, it's awesome to hear and see the way in which she claims running for herself. And also, you know, it's really interesting to hear American cultures with running because it seemed like, you know, she, one of the th- first things she said to me was like, you, you Aussies are so serious. Like you take running so seriously. Like, you know, you, you don't seem to like, like where's the fun and the music and the dress ups and like, you know, the chocolate at the end or the wine at the end. And, you know, uh, <laughs> um, and so it's only through learning about, race culture in america um particularly the ones that that she's been drawn to which have been centered around black culture where i'm like wow you know you have like a prince and michael um race you know where it's just prince jackson being played the whole time like that is so cool wow chocolate run you know and there's just like even the disco you know uh, sorry the um this is it the san francisco uh no it's the vegas marathon oh and, yeah and the rock and roll it's called the rock and roll marathon and yeah. there's bands and music everywhere the whole yeah. course um so yeah there's that part of me that likes to bring the fun 
and to shake up what running means to me um, every, like with every passing run or experience or year or whatever, as I, as I've developed new, a new relationship with running in my body. Mm. Um, but I still, I still think that there's a lot more we could do in our country to be more inclusive. Um, yeah. And, um, and I think RMA, you know, to me, RMA has, was one of my first landing places because I don't think anyone, well, I think it's very particular when you're a parent or, or a mum particularly. For a person who identifies as a woman and a mother, running um, I think is a, is a place of where it's just for you mm. and, and that makes you a better person in whatever way that is so i just feel like this community and i've always found every race any any running mom any rma woman that's wearing mm. anything that identifies in this just the most beautiful camaraderie and solidarity and i've found that to be you know one of those fundamental things that i love about running is mm. you know um when you just give each other even if it's just a nod or you know or even when I'm driving past, you know, I don't try, I'm, I try, I don't try and be um, weird, but you know, I will be like, "Go, sister!" You know, when I'm driving past women, I'm like, "Get up that hill," yeah. and because <laughs> yeah. I can just feel them, you know, and that is such a beautiful thing. Like, and I know what it feels like when you're you're just doing your thing. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, we could do more to be more inclusive break through this idea that you know running's about speed or time or or fit you know or, or, or yeah looking a certain way or fitting into lycra you know or just you know i totally agree like and and that's what it just provided this space where women particularly and mums felt like they could just be who they are and where they are and it didn't matter and no matter who you are what size you are if you're just starting out if you're an olympian everybody has time and space for you they cheer you on regardless it does it's i've not hardly ever seen a bad thing said in rma and that's what i love and out when you see people out running you know i don't know everybody in rma there's thousands of women who are part of our network but when i'm at races and i see women who are wearing you know the logo i just feel instantly connected and like you said it only has to be a little nod like just acknowledgement we hear you where we know like it's just this i can't even put words to it i just feel like it's this special thing um, because i've been part of many different running clubs or running groups or being coached or this or that or being at certain races and you don't get that vibe with everybody you know, you don't feel like you're actually, you don't feel like you belong. And that mm. is one of the things that I have been intentional in providing with RMA and I'm very, very passionate about is making sure that everybody who's part of it feels like they belong. So, it, you know, and that's why I want to bring to light all these stories of all the diverse women that we have in our network. Yeah, yeah. we are all so different. And look, you know, shout out also to those mums that are in situations that, where they don't have access to even run or race, you know, like getting a running pram isn't always accessible for people running shoes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. And it, yeah, I don't know. I just think that um, 
I think also, like, yeah, I, I guess I want to put out there as well that I do, can, I do identify myself as a survivor of domestic abuse mm. and, um, and family violence. And so, you know, but, it, but the, it's subtle. You know, that's something that I'm getting educated on as well is um, coercive control and how that, you know, it's, it's what, 10 or 11 years or so um, in hindsight that I can start to unpack what my experience was. Mm. I mean, how I knew I needed to leave, but at the same time, I didn't know why I didn't I couldn't name things there was an, and I didn't think that I needed the resources that were available for people in DV situations mm. um, because it wasn't overt yeah. Um, yeah so I just guess I just I guess I'd like to acknowledge people who run or can't access running um, as much as they could because they're the caretaker the primary caretaker for their children yeah. um, and I think that this is where we kind of touch on the intersectionalities of people who are marginalised. And I think that that's where I, you know, obviously I, um, I kind of come into the fold in that way or I sit on those margins where I understand people um, f from, from who have immigrated or people who are refugees or, or our First Nations people or people who are... Um, experiencing neurodiversity or people who um, are living with physical or mental um, disabilities or um, and even members of the of the lgbtqia plus community because um, i identify with that as well so I, I just feel i guess this is where i talk about the inclusivity around running is that there's a few different people i'm following on insta and in different groups and they're international mm. um because I, yeah, I think it's a it's a part of human nature. We just want to belong. Yeah, and running is a, you know, it, it's an innate human trait that we're birthright that we all have. But yeah, we're so used to kind of falling into subcultures that I guess I'm passionate about bringing more people into the fold, and that's what the, you know, the run bitch run stuff is all about too. Well, let's <laughs> go into that. So you know, we've talked about how running into your your life, and obviously you've been running for a long time and you ran when you were younger um obviously you loved that feeling that gave you and you took yourself off for runs in your local frankston area back in the 80s and 90s um and you know there was a moment so you put the spoken word poem up on youtube called run bitch run and it talked about a moment where you were running around your local area and a white redhead freckled girl was following you and chasing you and, you know, doing, saying racial slurs and basically ran you to your front door. Um, and that experience really impacted your journey. So we will play that clip now so the listeners can get a little bit of background. Just a word of warning before I play the clip that this clip does have some profanities in it. So you may want little ears not to be listening at this time. On my shoes and out the door, limber, connected, the bitumen serpent sliding through Ballon Park and around the primary school and the secondary school, the special school, the soccer field, the athletics track and around past that haunted homestead out back to my front door. It was 1994. I was a pubescent girl, still living at home, and my brother, the absent man of the house, was home from university. 
It was my afternoon jog and I knew the path like my hand. I began my stride on her asphalt back and I moved with genetic grace. The ease of the lines of the thousands before me that toiled the earth, rice and spices. I ran, I was in flow. Look at the abo, you black bitch! I turned my head, the locks of convicts flowing the crimson waves. <laughs> run, bitch, run! Look at the abo, black bitch, run! I'm running home. Run home was all my heart said. I kept ahead, she kept behind with a boy on a bike much younger to my mind. Flight of adrenaline accelerating my step, I felt the pulsation of my awareness expand my peripheral. Time slowed down and I sped ahead. Run, Kathy! <laughs> There's Kathy Freeman! <laughs> run, Kathy, you abo bitch! Run! She had called me Kathy. Now, it wasn't fashionable to be Aboriginal, but I'd been called black all my life. Abo, nigger, brownie, slant eyed bitch, you've been put in the oven too long. But this red freckled sister on her rampage of hate riding on my heels had no idea of the gift that she just gave to me. Like a twisted hand of destiny, she just called me Kathy. Now run, bitch, run meant the world to me. Run home. Running home was all my heart said to me. But she just called me Kathy. Kathy, Kathy Freeman, who had just won three gold medals at the Commonwealth Games. The woman who is the symbol of reconciliation and peace and hope for Australia's tainted history. Run, bitch, run meant the world to me. Running home, run home was all my heart said to me. Run, bitch, run, red girl's racism ignited my fire. Run, bitch, run just became my mantra. You want Kathy? Well, let's see if these steel springs are gonna hurdle me down the track. I increased my step as fast as a leopard. She pursued, her poisoned tongue licking at my Achilles. Fueled with the ignorance of her lineage, her righteousness in her pastel pigmentation, I looked ahead. The rainbow serpent floor was taking me home. Now run, bitch, run meant the world to me. Run home, running home was all my heart was saying to me. She followed me right to my door, her little sidekick in tow. My brother, the size of a Samoan mountain inside. <laughs> Redhead, chase me, call me Black Obo bitch. My brother flew out the door with our bull terrier in tow. That girl wasn't gonna bother me no more. Run, bitch, run. It was 1968 when Uncle Joe immigrated a Chinese Pakistani. It took him one year to get our family through the White Australia policy. Run, bitch, run. Uncle Joe approached the local parish priest who appealed to the local member of parliament of the Liberal Party and like another twisted hand of destiny, he was the one that sponsored the entire Leo family. Run, bitch, run. See, that's how I came to be. I'm the first Australian of my blood, but I'm not Aborigine. But I was born on Bunurong country, and I've got salt water in my veins. Run, bitch, run. Now run, bitch, run means the world to me. Run home. Running home is what my heart said to me. See, I was born at the gateway of the peninsula, where Mozart plays for ice addicts waiting for trains. Frankston where I saw my first penis, syringe and gun before I got my pen license. Run, bitch, run. Fast forward seven years and I'm 22 and I'm living the dream. I'm a working actor in St Kilda and it's the 25th of September, the year 2000. 
Run, bitch, run, and there she is on my TV screen. Kathy Freeman, she's all dressed in green, and it's the Olympics, and it takes 49.13 seconds, and Terra Nullis changes again. And I cry my first bittersweet patriotic tear. I didn't hear, I felt, people. I, oh, the, the, my bones are still rattling. They're still, they're still rattling. The vibes in the air that night were just phenomenal. It basically elevated me off the ground. That's the sensation I was getting. As if I was getting swept up. Now run, bitch, run means the world to me. I ran wee, 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 all the way home. Run home was more that my heart said to me. And here it led me to be, here with you now, finally home free. Mama Boho with a blended family. My name is Fi Chin Liu, and my children were born on Wudurong, Wurundjeri, and Bunurong country. Their father has red hair and freckles, the locks of convicts in the roots of their family tree. My children's blood runs true blue with the dreams of the Chinese refugees fleeing communism, crossing borders into India, becoming Pakistani, changing names, birthdays, religions for survival. Run, bitch, run. I'm running home, free from denial. I know I come from bound feet and the salty sweat of sailors and the colonial rapists and pillagers. I know I come from the waters of the Ganges. Run, bitch, run. Now I'm running for the kids of the Gullawinku, Warabinda, Warramuyanga and Palm Island. For the next seven generations, I'm paying it forward. Run, bitch, run. It means the world to me. I've run all the way home. Much respect, ancestors. Our song lines now run free. I found it when I listened to it the first time, I had absolute goosebumps. Like I'm tearing up just saying it. I just felt so guilty like as an Australian that people of colour would be treated this way and 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 wondered have I ever treated someone like that myself? Obviously I haven't gone chasing people around their suburb and calling them names. I've not even called people names, but it could just be passing comments as I was growing up, things you say without realising that that's racist, you know, just the way we act, the way we feel, where we go, who we associate with, what we wear, anything. It just made me feel so guilty. Um, mm. So it had a hugely powerful, profound impact on me when I listened to that. And I know it will on lots of people that listen to that now. But do you want to tell the listeners how that experience shaped your trajectory? Mm, wow. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, and I, I would like to put a pin in, in that emotion about, or that is guilt an emotion? I don't even know. I think it's a secondary emotion. But anyway, I think let's put a pin in that because I think because that is what is fueling my project as well. But yeah, okay. So that experience. <laughs> oh, um, I didn't actually realise, to be honest with you, I experienced so much overt racism as a young person. I didn't even remember that happened mm. um, until I um, 
until I in, registered for my first marathon. So yeah, I was like 38, 37 or something like that. And, um, and thought this is going to push me like, this is like obviously bucket list, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, I know myself, I'm lazy. I'm so lazy. I, I need something that's going to actually motivate me yeah. beyond myself because I'm vain, but not that vain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to look good, but I don't, yeah, I haven't got what it takes to run a train for a marathon. So I was like, okay, um, what can I raise money for? And, and you know, the Cathy Freeman Foundation came up yeah. on the Melbourne Marathon website. So props to Cathy Frim Foundation for being a partner, partner there. But um, so when that came up, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely love Cathy. Sign up for that. And it was only after that that I was like, oh, Cathy. Um, yep. And, I, and then I had, well, I, yeah, what is called PTSD. And I um, realised that... In that moment of, um, yeah, going for a run as a teenager and being chased, there were actually two people, but the, the, the other kid was a lot younger. Um, but being chased by this girl, apart from it being absolutely terrifying, mm. I had no idea why she was calling me Kathy. I was just like, you know, that was confusing. But at the time it was, you know, fight or flight. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> scary scary to try to outrun a bike um and back in the i don't know if you remember but back in the 80s 90s serial killers women girls going missing was real yeah. um getting like romper stomper came out so vietnamese like asian people were getting beaten on the street stabbings there was lots of um you know semi-gang sort of stuff going on you know Frankston was pretty rough. Yeah. Um, the threat was real. Danger was very real in, in my day-to-day. -day. Um, watching my back was very real. And so it was terrifying, yes, to have this experience, which I'd completely forgotten, buried down, whatever, you know, I just put it down to another experience. But, yes, writing Run, Bitch, Run helped me to reframe that experience into something that could help me like reclaim what it means to me now to run to raise money for the Kathy Freeman Foundation. So what became the Run Bitch Run poem became the Run Bitch Run campaign. And since six years later, what is it, 2015? So seven, yeah, this will be the seventh year. And we're coming up to a raising around 75, 80 grand for the Kathy Freeman Foundation, and um, I know that's not a lot of money in terms of, I mean, I mean, it is a lot of money, but, <laughs> yeah. but I've seen women, with all due respect, I've seen women of whiteness, I've seen white women run for cancer or run for this or run for that and make that, make 50 grand, you know, raise that money or raise 120 grand. And there's tragedies that I'm not taking away from other people's, um, choices to raise money. What I'm trying to say is that people aren't always forthright in wanting to support Indigenous mm. education. Yeah. People aren't always forthright in understanding the importance of children living in remote communities, having an opportunity 
to reach educational goals like Catherine did. Catherine lived, she grew up in Palm Island, which is one of the four remote communities that is supported by her foundation. And if she wasn't given the experience, you know, the opportunities she gave, we would never have had Kathy Freeman. Yeah. Can you this country without her um, in the sense of what she has given to us and our identity? Um, we've all claimed her as a part of us, you know, of what it is to be truly Australian. Yeah. She's love and, and rightly so. And so... I guess now the, the Run Bitches Run team and my, my project is all about finding ways that everyday people, particularly non-Indigenous people, can pay the rent, can, find, can pay it forward. Can, when I say pay the rent, I'm talking about the fact that we've, we all, every non-Indigenous person has benefited from this system that was created called colonisation. You know, all of the laws that have been put in place and have developed since um, the past 230-odd years mm -hmm. has put us in a position where we can create health and wealth and um, freedom for our kids. Mm -hmm. It's been at the sake of putting our, our First Nations children and elders and, and community, not just beneath and behind, but actually there's actual violence, there's actual lateral um, institutional violence that continues today and i mean if we look at the close the gap report it will inform us on what is actually happening in all sectors of industry you know from from health to our prison system to education to domestic violence to you know to every aspect of what we have created as our australian society indigenous australians are getting the brunt of um of the support and the well when i talk about support i'm talking about the ability to access self-determination the ability to um be heard have access to the same things that we are it, it it's taken me a lot of education i've had to google and read and find ways to become informed because what i thought was allyship was just performative in the past me um it's not enough to it's not enough to not be a racist it's it's important to be anti-racist and that means active allyship so one of my main yeah. mantras is allyship is a verb it's a doing word mm. um, we can say that we're not racist, but if we're complicit, if we're not doing anything in our day-to-day -day that shifts the way we access power and privilege, then we are actually complicit. We're actually not doing anything, which is why I want to pick up on what you were talking about, guilt, because that was, I suppose, the thing that I realised, even though I experience, have experienced and experienced racism, I do have settled a guilt. I have settled the guilt. It's real. And it's something that I think we all have. And it's the reason why, you know, Eddie Maguire struggles. He said sorry, but he was struggled to be accountable. You know, what Adam Goods went through is not acceptable in this day and age. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that, that Sam Newman can do blackface on national television, um, the fact that Serena 
um, Williams can be drawn as as a as a primate. Like that is just not acceptable. Um, but this is our culture, and we have to look at it. Like we have to we have to actually get educated about it. And that means having robust conversations and that means clunking and getting things wrong mm -hmm. and acknowledging that we weren't informed enough. And so we made a really ill-informed decision, which was it might've had some really detrimental and some, um, some, some hurtful impacts on, but we, we're all well-intentioned people, I believe. And Australians are great people. We're amazing people. And yet we still have so much to learn, even with, you know, Invasion Day coming up, Survival Day coming up. You know, people will call it Australia Day and they will want to celebrate. Like even that is a very, very powerful and potent place of discussion for us in understanding our history and having empathy and compassion and being able to, to look ourselves in the mirror and understand who we are like you know you know um who we really want to like what kind of person we really want to be on a day-to-day -day basis and it doesn't mean that we're all wrong and bad and we should feel guilty and that if you are less pigmented than you're you know that that you're bad and it, it it's i think that there's there's a lot to be learned there's lots of racial literacy educators out there including there's so many aboriginal um, academics and there's so much writing out there and resources that we can access that are really easy. Um, there's lots of people of colour and black people from America who have provided lots of resources as well. A lot of that is, is American based or even British based. There's lots of great things, but there are Aboriginal um, and people of colour uh, resources and teachers that we can access in this country mm. um but little things just establishing little relationships like who what country do you live on like what aboriginal country do you live on yeah what aboriginal, aboriginal country do you work on can you even say the word like how does that feel in your mouth you know saying that is saying a different like an ancient word yeah how you know learning how do you acknowledge do you ever acknowledge country like how do you acknowledge country and do you acknowledge when you're running that you're on country mm. um do you understand that yeah that so many places in reality have the blood and bones of our black ancestors of the people first nations of this of this land the people of the first nations their blood and bones are have been spilt on this land and that's not to make us feel bad and guilty it's to make us aware mm. and um bring us to attention and to account of how we want to move with that and it's it's not about guilt it's about action it's about understanding what accessibility and visibility looks like having platforms like it's such a privilege to for you to give me this platform for us to have this conversation it's not the easiest conversation and i hope i haven't turned people off um by, by naming things because like I said, they're clunky and they're new conversations. They're not things that we talk about over the dinner table. Like you said, they're family secrets, like as if there should be shame. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, rape was a part of, um, has been a part of our history when it comes to like black women, Aboriginal women, mm -hmm. we're indentured slaves. Mm -hmm. 
You know, they were maids, they were cleaners, they were cooks for our grandparents. Um, and even as back as the 60s, that was still happening, you know, um, being able to vote in the 70s, it's civil rights is real. Like we, we always look to America for, you know, civil rights liberation, but it's actually happening here. Um, you know, the 50th anniversary of the tent embassy. It's the longest standing protest for land rights in the world. Mm. Like, you know, there's big stuff happening here. And I think that we can be overwhelmed by it and we can put in the too hard basket because every day is overwhelming enough for all of us living through this pandemic right now. Mm. But we all witnessed George Floyd being murdered and and then you know, people took to the streets and went 470 black lives have died in custody in this country and nothing has been done. No one has been brought to account. There's been no justice. How can there be peace? How can we say that we are a one united people? How can we say, say we're proud to be Australian when when we've got all this blood on, on, on our nation's hands? Um, and that is unfortunately the truth. And, you know, so I guess... <laughs> For me, in my little, 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 little world of having children and, and being a passionate artist, but living in the privilege of being on the surf coast, mm. um, being married to a white man, you know, I have all these weird accesses to privileges I would never have, you know, when I was a single mum or when I was, you know, um, an up-and-coming. I've had two white husbands. <laughs> my husband's white at the moment. My first husband was white. <laughs> I think there's this level of attraction to the most, you know, <laughs> the most privileged person in society. Um, so funny. That's, that's hilarious putting that out there. Um, oh. Being really transparent. And he knows this. We have very, very transparent conversations about this. But, you know, I'll pull him in when, it, when, when you know, whether it's our white kids or our neighbours or my colleagues or on social media, if people who identify as white and have passed with the privilege of colonisation don't understand what I'm saying, I just call him in or I call other allies mm. who, um, who have lighter pigment, who have received the privilege of having either blonde hair or blue eyes or pigment, light pigment, um, who, have done and who are doing anti-racist work, chipping away every day however they can. I'll call them in and they'll speak. It's really weird how white people will listen to white people. Um, but they do, and and so I'll call him in, and he'll 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 be an ally for me, um, because racism is not these overt attacks. You know, it isn't the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, that is, but that is an extreme version of it. Racism is so subtle. Yeah. Uh, microaggressions are called micro because they are subtle, but they are not micro in their impact. So when, when my white friends say to me, oh, do you know, you know, I don't see colour. You and I, we're just the same. They don't understand that that erases my experience as a woman of colour. They, they don't understand that when you say I don't see colour, it means that I will not allow your experience to be different from mine. They're not, they're not um, ill-intentioned. You know, people, everyone's got good intentions. But, or, you know, I've never seen you as a person of colour, Janelle. I've always seen you as Janelle. That hurts because i say well did you just erase the fact it means that you can't understand that yeah. everywhere i look 
the billboards, the news, movies, um, even our hero, our sporting heroes or whatever, it, it's always um, white-centred. It's always Euro-centred. It's all whiteness is the dominant normality and it's never named. It's silent. And so when you, when you say whiteness, it often is very um, antagonising because it makes people feel as if you're being separatist mm -hmm. and you're starting to segregate. But when I talk about whiteness, I talk about it as a culture. I mean, my, my baby girl, she's, she's a white passing person. Mm -hmm. She experiences all the privileges of being you know, a, a beautiful, you know, caramel skinned, light haired, green eyed girl on the surf coast. But she has a mother of colour and she, she is a person of colour. She's just white passing. So she has this identity to strong roots, cultural roots, but she's experiencing racism on a daily basis. Like she calls out her friends, her teachers. Um, I've had so many full on conversations over the past two years in particular with her school and it's not his it's not i'm not outing her school i'm talking about people's ignorance mm. i'm talking about um teachers being anti-asian mm. i'm you know i'm talking about kids still using the n-word uh, i'm you know it, it's um and and <laughs> like literally we were unpacking with her last week you know her friend saying oh you know i've got a pass i've got a black cousin so i can say the n-word um it's hard and i guess this is where it, when we talked about you know i had to get the disclaimer that i can say bitch on this podcast is about reclaiming racial slurs like reclaiming those words yeah. um that have been used against us and so you know um i had to explain to my daughter how the n-word belongs to black and black people if they want to call like if they want to refer to themselves as that in whatever that that's their it's mm them to claim because it was used against them and i suppose my tongue-in-cheek um reclamation of the word bitch is that yeah i am that bitch you know i am i'm that person that is going to be fueled by um what it feels like to be discriminated and i think we all know what it feels like to be discriminated against because we, we can all experience discrimination but we can't all experience racism and i think that's where we can channel our our uncomfortable emotions when you talk about your guilt that's where yeah like for me i was like where do i place all this guilt mm. um, and that's where i was like okay i can raise money for the kathy freeman foundation i can do that mm. that's easy um that's within my reach and I've learned how to get more and more um, active in that and how to provide more access for everyone else to the point where, you know, over the past couple of years, particularly in the pandemic, I've had these teams where everyone's been doing virtual events. Yeah. So I've had so many people of like non-Indigenous Australians coming on board and we've raised heaps of money. Um, so where can people find out, like, if they want to, be involved in the Run Bitch Run campaign, like, because I was trying to find, like, oh, no. why I couldn't find it, and I'm like, find it to be here somewhere. It so was. where can people like find out more about the Run Bitch Run? Because it's still going. The campaigns are still going. Still raising oh, money no. for the Kathy Freeman Foundation for Indigenous Education. Still doing that, which is 
amazing and we'd love to get behind it. So where can we find out more about that? Yeah, I am in the literal process of updating my website. And so if you go to JanelleDeSilva.com, there'll be Run Mitch Run there. But I had a Facebook page, but when all of the things updated and there was a huge following there, um, it was called Run Bitch Run. But then, yeah, when over was the start of 2021 or 2020 mm-hmm. when new laws came in about swearing yeah. and, <laughs> and the page got wiped. So I lost like, you know, thousands of followers. And, yeah. and I never really set out to create. I didn't know I was creating a community, but, yeah. um, but it made sense for me because so many people were like, it was not about me running. It was about moving yeah. as a collective and, and understanding that everybody moves on country. Yeah. So, um, so we can all do something about that. We can all be allies. It's not hard. And we can all, you know, give the cost of an Uber Eats mm. someone who is doing an event. So there will be okay. a place for you to find Run Bitch Run. Absolutely. It's okay. as of today, it's not online. But okay. um, whenever I'm running an event or whenever there is an event, essentially a race, I'll just sign up for it and then I'll make a fundraising page. It's all very grassroots. So I haven't got to that stage where, like yourself, where you've been able to just coordinate yourself into making a community, which full props to you for doing that, Nick. Yeah, I'm I'm in the process of doing that. So people will have a landing page. They'll be able to Google it and find me. And I encourage everybody to get on board if you want because... Yeah, I'm I'm coming from a decolonial running perspective. So the idea is that what we're doing is we're decentering whiteness as we move. That's not a negative. It's about bringing into the fold. It's about acknowledging the fact that there is a history underneath our feet and we have a privilege when we run. And um, we can do something. We can actually, we can actually do something about paying it forward. And what better a way to do it than to invest in the educational opportunities for kids living in remote communities? These are kids deeply embedded in their culture. Yeah, I love that. And I think you know we can, as a collective, really, you know, I'll obviously be putting in the show notes your website, and and this will reach lots of people. And you know, if, even if the website the page isn't ready yet. People could choose to to run and support the Kathy Freeman Foundation. Um, yes. It is amazing work. I just read Kathy's book actually um, in the holidays when I was in lockdown in uh, isolation yeah. and um, I read it in like a few hours. I was just captivated by it. Um, incredible. So I think, you know, it'd be great for people to get alongside that this year if they are running even around their block doesn't have to be an event but maybe they'd like to throw some dollars that way and support these children in these remote communities i think that would be amazing Mm -hmm. um i'm all for that i'm all for sharing causes that um impact particularly i love to impact uh, have impact on causes that share um support for women and children especially children so I think that would be incredible. So I will be putting in the show notes. I'll put your website. I'll also put the um, the two 
the, the poem and then I will put in a link to your TED talk as well. Um, pay the rent. That was incredible as well. So I encourage people to listen to that as well. And what about your running at the moment? Are you training for anything? Um, I'm just looking at the next goal, to be honest. Um, the, Mar- the Melbourne Marathon just clicks on because, you know, I'm, I, you know, I've got the goal to be a Spartan, but then I realise that, you know, once you're a Spartan, then you, you've got all the different colours. <laughs> What's the Spartan? Is that six or ten? Or ten. ten. How many have you done? Six. Oh, you've got to get ten now. <laughs> you pass halfway. <laughs> this was a big one. This one that just went, so that was in December. That was like, all right, this is the sixth Chanel. Are we, we really going for Spartan? But I, I am. And, um, but the, that's just an ongoing um, goal. And the Kathy Freeman Foundation is always associated with Melbourne yeah. Marathon. So um, that's one that ticks on. Um, but, but looking at, again, there's a whole new group of people that want to be a part of uh, a new Run Bitches Run team. So I'm looking at, something fun where kids can get involved. So hopefully the Puff and Billy race. Um, yeah, that would be good. I've done that a few times and that's I haven't done it as a Run Bitches Run team, but that would be fun just so that, you know, the kids can get on the train. and. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's finish off. I'm going to do the RMA Hot Lap, which I do with everyone at the end of the podcast. It's just five quick questions uh, that I've thought up for you so my first question was what has been your greatest running moment <laughs> uh, oh there's so many there's too many so i'm just going to pick one in this moment right now i have to say um was it my it would have been 2019 Melbourne Marathon, is it 19 or 18? Now I feel bad because I can't remember. But it was, I'm thinking of a really amazing moment and that moment was running past Peter Norman statue mm. and I, at, in Albert Park, and I stopped and I took a photo with it and um, because I didn't know about Peter Norman until I started to um, become educated as a, like decolonize my running experience when i learned about peter norman i was like this is what a true australian ally is Mm. um you know he stood up on the podium in 68 in mexico with tommy smith and john carlos and and wore a um human rights badge he didn't he didn't put his fist in the air with them but in solidarity he stood with his head down and and he was never invited to compete representing Australia again. He was the fastest white man in the world in 68. Um, he essentially was um, excommunicated from our Australian running in, um, professional scene after that. Um, read his book. Right? His, his, his nephew wrote the book about him. I listened to it on audiobook. It is incredible. He just stood in solidarity for civil rights. Uh, for representation and um he yeah he was he paid the price for allyship and i know that that is you know um so so anyway i drew a lot of in i drew a lot of strength in that moment running past his statue and going 50 years post thomas he died over 50 years ago mm-hmm. and we've got we finally had the statue for him mm-hmm. um he to me is what a true australian is 
uh, like a non-Indigenous Australian because he showed allyship Mm. um, and he was willing to take responsibility for being an ally as well. He was a humanitarian. Mm. He was. Um, So that's, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, The next one is, who is your greatest running inspiration and why? We'll have to say Catherine, don't I? So Catherine, so Catherine, when I say Catherine, I'm talking about Kathy Freeman. Um, yeah. Yeah. Catherine, you know. And we can see I'll, I'll never forget that 400 metres. Like, I, I just make, it brings tears to my eyes in this moment. Just mm. I'll never forget what it did for me to witness her run that race. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what it did for lots of people too. It did for the whole world, yeah. Incredible. Mm. Uh, well, we've talked about what your next running goal is, so we will miss that one. But what do you want your children to learn from your experiences? Oh, look, just give it a go. Give it a red hot Aussie go. Like it doesn't actually matter whether you – I think it's about integrity, about showing up. Like if you if you say you're going to do something, do it. And it doesn't matter how well or or what it, if it doesn't look like the way you thought it was going to look like. Yeah. But if you but if you're going to commit to something, or if you're going to put your name on something, then give it your all that you can in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and your best is good enough on the day. Like you know, whatever that is, that's what it is. Um, yeah. If I can, if my kids can go, oh well, mum, you know, she's so slow, or she's so this, or she's crazy, or she, you know, but they still see me doing it and getting it done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope that they can just take that in their stride, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Um, the last one is, how would you want people to remember your legacy? Oh, that's such a nice question. Um, yeah, it's a, that's a big one. That's a big one. And <laughs> I hope... A running legacy or a legacy? Just, just, I mean, all you encompass, all you're doing, your legacy, uh, your life work, you as a person, what you do to the world. I think I would say that I'm training to be a good ancestor. Like I'm training to be a good, you know, when I, when I leave the world, I hope it's a little bit better for me having just, yeah, left a better, left it a little bit better than maybe it was before. Yeah, I guess I want to pay it forward. I want to pay it forward, meaning consciously healing intergenerational trauma is a an ongoing choice. I think it looks different for everybody. Um, and trauma, intergenerational trauma is embodied in so many different ways for everybody, every different body. Um, but as a collective, I hope that, yeah, when I leave this earth, that maybe maybe there's maybe there's some cycles or maybe there's ways of doing things that are, that have found a little bit more peace or some healing around, or you know, I, I can't. It's a yeah, legacy's a big question, Nick. Why are you finishing on that one? I always <laughs> finish big. <laughs> no, it's good. Go big or go home. <laughs> yeah. I hope to be a good ancestor. I hope in a you know in seven generations' time, my great 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 children grandchildren can say, yeah, that that. Nana Nell or whatever, grandma, great grandma. <laughs> Nana Nell, got a ring to it. Yeah, yeah, she she righted some wrongs in her time. Mm, love so, that. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing an incredible job. 
And thank you so much for joining us. I've absolutely loved talking to you. This has really opened my eyes. Um, and yeah, I think lots of people are going to get so much out of this episode. So thank you so much. I could talk to you for ages and, you know, we should go on for a long run together. We'll just chat, 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 chat all the time. Well, when I come down to Surf Coast uh, area again, I'm up for it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. If you're ever in Sydney, hit me up. Um, yeah. But I, I, I've been down the Surf Coast. It's incredible. Like you're so lucky to live there and be able to run on that country. Yeah, the Surf Coast Trail Marathon is beautiful. The Great Ocean Road Marathon, you know, it's, you know, the, the trail running is endless here and I am, yeah, it is, a, it is a privilege for me to run on this country, on water on country. So, you know, full respect to Corinna Eccles, who is the traditional owner. Um, she's got the, uh, the pure bloodline of the water on people. So full respect to Corinna. She's a, she's a mate. Um, and her family and her lineage and her mob that um, is going strong. Five generations of Wadarong people are, um, in her family are living on Wadarong country. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, full respect. Well, I hope you loved this episode with Janelle De Silva. Thank you for joining in. If you loved what Janelle had to say, I would love for you to head over and rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. Also, I would love if you would share this episode with your friends. I love what Janelle had to say when she said that allyship is a verb, and I'm sure that so many of us have learned so much from what she said today to us. And that through our own actions and thoughts, we can change the way our nation views indigenous culture and acknowledge and respect our indigenous people both in the past in the present and into the future i want to say thank you for joining me on the podcast again today and i look forward to bringing you more episodes next time wherever you are i hope you are safe and well